0: Good morning. So summer is this time of coming and going. I think we talked about last week, and Pastor Steve promises that he's coming back. So I think he gets back to work tomorrow, so you should see him again. Hallelujah. So our scripture passage today comes from the sixth chapter of Galatians. We were in the fifth chapter last week. Today we're going to read the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 10. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride, for all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit." So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Open our hearts and minds, O Lord, to the word just read and the words to come, that they might point to the Word made flesh, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The Apostle Paul knew it. He knew it then, and we know it now. Problems arise in churches and in any place where Christians gather. We know that no one is immune. Even the most devout can slip up. For those of us who are trying to live our best Christian life, we may be, unfortunately, just a bit more prone to harshly judge the sins of others. There's a story about a young boy who was shooting rocks with a slingshot. He could never hit his target. And then one day, as, his, as he was returning to his grandmother's backyard, he spied her pet duck. On impulse, he took aim and let fly. The stone hit, and the duck died. The boy panicked, and he hid the bird in the woodpile, only to look up and to see his sister watching. After lunch that day, Grandma asked Sally to help with the dishes. Sally responded, Johnny told me that he wanted to help in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? And she whispered to him, Remember the duck. So, Johnny did the dishes. What choice did he have? For the next several weeks, he was at the sink often, sometimes for his duty, sometimes for his sin. Whenever he objected, Sally would whisper, remember the duck. So weary of this chore that he decided that any punishment would be better than washing more dishes, so he confessed to killing the duck. His grandmother stretched out her arms and gave him a big hug. She said, oh, Johnny, I know you killed the duck. I was standing at the window, and I saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you. I wondered how long you were going to let Sally make a slave out of you. Our tendency may not to be to blackmail like childish siblings, but we seem to fall into one of two categories when someone else does something wrong. Some Christians like to jump up on their high horse, a safe distance between them and the sinner, where they can reprimand the person. It reminds me of that arcade game, Whack-A-Mole. Whenever a gopher pops his head up out of the hole, you score points by whacking it down with a big mallet only some Christians prefer to use their Bible instead of the mallet. The other category is much more passive, but equally destructive. We don't confront the sinner, but we don't stay silent either. Instead, we judge, and then we talk to each other about the other person's mistakes. Maybe we act this way due to our competitiveness with one another. I imagine this could be related to our brokenness and how we value our own worth. We act like the size of the self-worth pie is fixed. I can only be more if you are less. Or maybe it's because we don't know how to have that difficult conversation with that other person who has slipped up. Maybe it's a combination of both. I like how Eugene Peterson phrases the first three verses of Galatians 6 in the message. He writes, Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Saving your critical comments for yourself, you might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you are badly deceived. The word restore, which is used by both the NRSV translation we read earlier and the message paraphrase that we just heard, comes from the Greek word katarizo. The verb katarizo was used in secular Greek to describe a physician's setting of a broken bone. This obviously takes skill, it takes time, it takes care. So how does one carefully and skillfully restore a person who has slipped up? I think it starts with a long, hard look in the mirror. These days, I scoot right past the mirror, preferring to keep that image I carry of myself from a couple of decades ago. But I think that this look into the mirror is considering something beyond the image that everybody sees something that goes much deeper. How am I living and thinking and treating other people? What is my motivation for correcting someone? You know, what jumps into my head is that story in the Gospel of John where the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman to Jesus, a woman who's been caught in adultery. The law of Moses commanded them to stone such women. What would Jesus do? Jesus said, let anyone among you who is without sin cast the first stone. And we all know what happened. The accusers dropped their rocks, and they all went away. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, how can you say to your neighbor, let me take that speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? Jesus is reminding us that we are all sinners, and we are not to judge one another. But rather, we are to bear one another's burdens in love. So when Paul says we should restore our brothers and sisters, I believe our heart has to be in the right place. This has to start from a posture of humility where we are connected through a relationship that's marked by mutuality. An Aboriginal woman from Australia said to some earnest, well-intentioned missionaries, if you're coming to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let's work together. It is a mutual receiving, listening, and valuing one another as children of God. Father Gregory Boyle is the founder of Homeboy Industries, the largest gang intervention and re-entry program on the planet. He has written two best-selling books, Tattoos on the Heart and Barking to the Choir. And Father Boyle will be speaking at our church right here on January 29th, 2020. You want to mark your calendars. From his 30 years in relational ministry, which includes burying over 220 kids, Boyle knows that no kid is seeking anything when he joins a gang. He is always fleeing something, There are no exceptions. Kids join Little League because they want to belong. They join gangs because they want to die. Homeboy Industries wants to bend the world to grace, leaning into the tenderness of God, which is most experienced through kinship. This shared mutuality is because we are all broken The embrace of our own suffering helps us to humbly land on a spiritual intimacy with ourselves and others. If we don't welcome our own wounds, we will be tempted to despise the wounded. Sergio was in his mid-twenties, a tattooed gang member who had served considerable time in prison. He also had been homeless for a stretch and an active heroin addict. Sergio had been first arrested at nine years old for assault and breaking and entering. He jumped into a gang at 12 and did two and a half years for stabbing his mom's boyfriend who tried to abuse him. Sergio has become a valued member of the homeboy substance abuse team, now solid in his own recovery and helping younger homies try sobriety on for size. Sergio told his story to a group of 600 social workers. His story is nothing that most of us can even imagine. When he was only six years old, his mom actually said to him, why don't you just kill yourself? You're such a burden to me. Six years old. When he was nine, his mom drove him to an orphanage in the deepest part of Baja, California, telling the employees that she'd found this kid on the street And she left him there. He was there 90 days, three months before his grandmother could get out of his mom where she had dumped him. And then his grandma came and rescued him. Sergio's mom beat him every single day of his elementary school years with things you could imagine and things that you couldn't. Every day, his back was so bloodied that he had to wear three T-shirts to school to make sure that the blood didn't seep through and show. Kids at school would make fun of him for wearing three T-shirts, but he would never tell them why. Sergio swallowed back tears as he said, I wore three T-shirts well into my adult years because I was ashamed of my wounds. I didn't want anyone to see them. But now... Now I welcome my wounds. I run my fingers over my scars. My wounds are my friends. After all, he continued, how can I help others to heal if I don't welcome my own wounds? Can you see, can you see how we can restore with a spirit of gentleness if we acknowledge our own brokenness and we take time to listen to another person's story. Humility and curiosity ignite compassionate love, which leads to radical kinship. And from this place, we are in a better position to bear one another's burdens in love. It's not easy, though. As a cowardly, non-confrontational peacemaker, I prefer to do what my personal mascot, the ostrich, does, keep my head buried in the sand until the dust settles. Earlier this year, Pastor Steve invited our staff to memorize Ephesians 4:15 and 16, and it says, "But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way, into him, into the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament from which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. I am challenged by that line, speaking the truth in love, because it's so hard to do. Let's say that we do learn of a friend's transgression and we want to gently restore them. When emotions are high and adrenaline is pumping, our brains shift into that survival mode of fight or flight, which does not leave much brain power left for a spirit of gentleness. We know that an ostrich can't fly, but she can run away at 43 miles per hour. I recently read a great book called Crucial Conversations that was helpful for me to find my gentle voice in tough situations A Crucial Conversation is a discussion that has three components, opposing opinions, high stakes, and strong emotions. Ironically, the more crucial the conversation, the less likely we are to handle it well. While this is not a Christian book, it does have Christian values at its foundation. Crucial conversations have the power to transform people and relationships I suppose because they help us to speak the truth in love. There are skills to learn and great reminders in this book, like to start with your heart. We each are responsible for ourselves. As the Apostle Paul says, all must carry their own loads. As we do our own inner work, we must pay attention to our motives and what we really want out of the conversation. The linchpin of the discussion is mutual respect. Without mutual respect, the conversation tanks. This sounds an awful lot like kinship to me. Another important ingredient of having transformative, crucial conversations is humility. We have to be humble enough to realize that we don't have the monopoly of the truth in any situation. We must always seek to understand where someone is coming from, to be curious about their story and about who they are. Even better to believe that as we bear one another's burdens, we actually share in their pain of failure. Like any good team, we win together and we lose together. In the body of Christ, we have a profound mutuality. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Mutual receiving, listening, valuing. Ask the Spirit to pour out her love and gentleness upon you so that when the world whispers, Remember the duck, we might answer as Jesus does by reaching our arms out wide and saying, We are in this together Because I love you, I forgave you.